This is AI Podcast. Not artificial intelligence, agency intelligence. Our team's going to be 10 times stronger than all the other teams. A platform for agents. When people think of niche marketing, they're thinking so small scale. In real life agencies, sharing their thoughts. All you need to do is get in front of more people. To transform an industry. Better coverages, uh, better pricing, just better everything. Real. The difference between givers, takers, and matchers. Agents. I guess I took a slightly different path coming to the agency. I know a lot of agencies. You can partner your clients with those companies that are looking for that specific target market. This is AI Podcast. Are you ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, 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 loyal listeners. How are you doing? And welcome to another episode of Agency Intelligence Podcast, where we give you real agents inside real agencies, giving you the real agency intelligence and not the artificial that the industry tries to make you believe, because that's why we're here. That's what we do. I do what I do for you because I'm trying to get you to do what, loyal listeners, you know, think. That's right. I just want you to think. I want you to challenge the norms. I want you to take what's always worked and challenge it. Put it through the test. Does it work in your agency? Because it works over in the West Coast, does that mean it works in the East Coast? The only way to know is to create a podcast like this and bring us all together and inject it directly into our ears so that we all are going in the same direction. I say it all the time. It's not necessarily about going the same path. But it is about getting us agents to getting this industry to go in the same direction. And I believe that's what we and many other podcasters and bloggers do out there. So that's why if this is your first time listening, thank you very much. Um, You are now joining a crowd of loyal listeners, which is thousands of them. And if you're a loyal listener, thanks for everything that you do. Right now, I'm recording this on March 18th of 2020. This will be a time that lives in infamy, that lives uh, for the rest of the world. We will either look back at this time and say that was a really weird time, or we're going to look back and say that was the first time of many. Um, It's going to be one or the other. And so uh, I think it'll be the first time of many in my personal opinion. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the the coronavirus, and it's a major issue. I'm trying to not bring it right into this podcast, but let's be honest, folks, the world is shut down. Right, The world is shut down. And I have a little snippet that I want to talk about how us agencies are very, very lucky in this time. And I believe there's a conversation that needs to happen in your agency, and this is the best time for that to happen. Keep in mind, I want to, before I get into this interview here with Justin, I want us to remember that right now, AIBrainShare.com is still open for BrainShare. I get it. No one is signing up right now. We have around 50-ish people that have signed up, but no one signed up in the last week because of the coronavirus. Keep this in mind. This will, will be away by then. This will be gone. Will the economy will be in the 30,000s in the stock market by then? The trade uh, deal with China will have been signed, and our economy will be stronger than ever by the time October 25th to 28th comes. So go to AI Brainshare, get your invite code for all that you thought that were late, that you didn't think you had time. You've got severely lucky, and I wish it wasn't because of the reason it is, but it is. In the meantime, Justin, dude, how are you? Doing great today, Jason. How you doing, bud? Good. Sorry for that long entrance there. I, I, I had a bunch of stuff. You know how crazy this world is right now, and I don't want to say crazy. It's just 
not normal. It's not what we come to know as a normal day, right? Absolutely. If you really think about it, Justin, when you talk about what's crazy, the fact that we don't have sports, that's not really crazy. That's just not normal, right? Crazy is is when people are running around killing each other and stealing from each other and harming each other. Crazy is when we when we run a bill a plane into the side of a building and kill 3000 people. That's crazy, right? I think sometimes we need to distinguish between those two things. I mean, how, how's this last couple of days been going with you, Justin, in your life? Yeah, great question. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Um, it's a pleasure being here. So, yeah, I mean, I think it didn't really start resonating with me probably until about Friday when my business partners brought me into a meeting with the entire company and said, basically, we are shutting, I don't want to say the word shutting down the office, but everybody that's physically here is no longer allowed to be here effective Monday morning, which was uh, two days ago. So um, I've been in the industry 12 years. I've never experienced anything like this in 12 years. We've been through hard markets, soft markets, and everything in between, Hurricane Irene, Hurricane Sandy. This is one of those things where there's a lot of unknowns, and I think that's what's the biggest fear right now in the industry, and especially at the carrier uh, insurance company level, the reinsurance company level is you know what the unknown is. Obviously, we're all aware of the lack, I don't want to say the lack of coverage, but how this is an excluded thing, which is viruses under the property insurance coverage. So we're getting a lot of people We insure a lot of businesses. I would say about 50% of our book of business is commercial insurance. So we're getting a lot of calls for clients trying to put in, you know, business interruption claims, which we're all aware that they're not covered even under civil authority. So, you know, it's just educating the clients, being empathetic holding their hands through the process and showing them things to do inside of their business that normally they wouldn't be doing. For example, start your spring cleaning early, right? You know, do things that keep your workers busy. Yes, they're maybe not doing what they should be doing from a, a work standpoint, but what we're doing here in our agency right now is we're saying, hey guys, the phones are down a little bit. It's a little bit slower on new business. We do a lot with renewal reviews. Let's ramp that up. Let's get as far enough out as possible. Let's do some CE credits. Everybody's got to do CE credits. We're actually t- having people send us three things in you know, in their personal life that they want to do better, whether it's reading books or whatever the case may be. We're just trying to keep everybody, I don't want to say the word busy, but we just need to get past these next few weeks. I think as people start to calm down and the panic starts to, you know, I don't want to say subside, but we just really want to see people just keep, stay home, be safe. Don't go out into the public at, if you don't need to. And, and um, you know, we'll get through this. So we're going to make this podcast about a lot of things. We really didn't have a plan coming into it, but there has been a lot of emergence of things that are related to um, some of what's going on right now with the virus. And let's talk about some of those. One of those things is the business income that you just mentioned. I think that there's going to be radical changes in what you're going to see when it comes to not the coverage of business income. I just think that they're going to have to include it. I think you're going to see that these insurance companies, in my opinion, are going to pay. They're going to pay for the business income. It's going to be a way for the government to say, hey, that's money we don't have to spend there where we need to spend it in other places. Whether we agree with that or not, I'm not saying that I'm loyal listeners. You know how I am. I just I'm just guessing here. But what I but what I see is it's like when the hurricanes come through, Justin, and they make the government makes the insurance companies wash the uh, deductibles. They step in. They do these different types of things. They made them waive the copay on the testing, uh, which all that makes sense, right? That all makes sense in this time. I get it. 
But at the end of the day, I also see anywhere I thought between a two to three trillion dollar economic um, that the company that Uncle Sam's getting ready to drop in the economy. I've now thought to myself, it's more like three to five trillion. I know those numbers are just astronomically high, but we already just injected 700 billion in treasury bonds. And now they're talking a trillion up front. That's 1.7 trillion. Yeah. I think this is going to be a huge, huge fallout. Now, let me get back to the business income. Sorry about that. There's been a first lawsuit filed on Monday. Uh, today's Wednesday, loyal listeners. Remember, I said it was March 18th. There was a lawsuit filed on Monday inside the mastermind. The The article was posted and we've been discussing it in there. It's in Louisiana. Yep. And they are saying that the property of the business, whether that's the food or just, you know, the, te- the, 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 the furniture is contaminated. And because of that, that means property damage. And because of that, therefore, it would justify triggering coverage for the business income. But I think where we're all over that is it, it depends on if it's name perils, special perils or whatever, because it's going to depend if contamination is going to trigger coverage in the first place. There are so many ifs, ands, buts, twists, and turns. I don't see how they win in court. Now, I could see them being forced to do it, but to say that the policy language states now, I just don't see it. What say you, Justin? Yeah, I mean, my my background, just so you guys know, is underwriting. I have no background in claims other than just being in the industry and by default, you know, advising clients. But right. so again, keep that in mind as we talk through this. But, you know, I also saw that it was down in the French Quarter, one of the restaurants. And we're going to see that probably a lot with the hospitality industry because they're the ones hurting the most. You and I, business owners in an insurance agency, yes, we're going to maybe see some slowdown in new business, maybe some people panicking and, and canceling policy early. So we will some have some attrition and things like that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I also read up on that insurance claim. It's like trying to grab water, right? Like you can grab a piece or two of it, but you're not going to be able to grab that full cup of water because it, once it goes through your hand, it kind of falls through. So it's, it's people trying to grasp at things that maybe aren't there. And any lawyer, most lawyers would probably walk away from that opportunity is my guess. And then you're probably going to have one or two that are going to step up to the plate and try and do it as like a national issue, meaning everybody jump on this bandwagon and let's just, exactly. you know what I'm saying? So the insurance companies, I've been speaking with them pretty closely and right now, their hands will have to be forced in order for them to pay out on claims because, and I know you're in this group too, IAOA on Facebook, the Insurance Agency Owners Alliance. And long story short is people are kind of all saying the same thing. Like you as an insurance company, like you're specifically excluding this cause of loss because you know it would be a a loss of mass proportions. It would literally bury, I don't want to say bury, I would say shut down the insurance industry at at least the carrier level, definitely the reinsurance level, because these carriers did not anticipate to pay out on these types of claims, right? And and we've seen it in the past with different things like H1N1, SARS, all these different things. And, you know, Lloyd's of London literally was almost crippled many years ago to something similar with like lead and asbestos and all this stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's been enough cases in the past where the carriers will be able to maybe pass on this. But like you said, with the hurricane deductibles, maybe there's some kind of what's meet in the middle type thing, right? Where the carriers aren't picking up 100% of the claim, but maybe they're subsidizing a portion of it, whether it's the cleanup 
or, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit of business interruption. And it's not perfect, but basically Uncle Sam always says, we bail you out the first time. Don't do it again, unless you're the banks. Then you get bailed out as much (laughs) as you want. But no, seriously, think of 9-11. In 9-11, that's what the industry said. Like, we cannot we cannot put a premium to terrorism, right? We, we can't expect, yeah. we could not um, estimate and actually account for someone killing 3,000 people and what happened in 9-11. So what happened was, is the government paid it, right? There was a huge lawsuit as, you know, on those two buildings. First of all, that's, a, that's another story. But, they, but they, the government cleaned up a lot of it, but then they created a backstop, right? They said mm-hmm. to the insurance companies, we understand you can't estimate how much damage could possibly be done. So we're going to backstop it, which I think is $100 billion, if I'm correct. I think it's, yeah, I think it's $100 billion. So it has to be there's it's actually really interesting for any agents that don't know um you can go back and read the terrorism act and it's been updated a couple times but it states in there it gives two or three i think it's three conditions to trigger that backstop one of it is has to be a hundred billion dollars in loss or more um and then the other one is the president has to declare it uh, an act of terrorism that's why sometimes we don't realize like on in the public and society level how important it is if we declare it an act of terrorism or not it's not always political it's how the money flows based on what it's declared as um and i can't remember the other one and so i see them doing the same thing here this is going to be hey if this ever happens again you're on the hook for this cuz then they can at least actuarially they know where their limits are right they can at least start to put a premium with that and i and i see a lot of that happening with this going on right here. I see very, very close similarities. Do you? Absolutely. And I think I kind of compare a little bit to cyber insurance. And by what I what I mean by that is mm-hmm. cyber insurance many years ago, I would say as far back as almost 20 years ago, was not even something that any insurance agent would entertain putting on an insurance policy or offering it to their clients. And, and now it's common sense where we're going into trades, uh, contractors, industries that people would never, ever think that would need, have the need for cyber insurance and offering it and having clients purchase it. So what I see is maybe after all the dust settles and and everything calms down where this is now an ancillary coverage where I think there's a buyback. I think there is an ISO form right now for this type of coverage, but it's not something common practice with a lot of the carriers. We've talked to many of the big, big companies and they say, listen, it's not even available as an endorsement to our BOP. Yes, we understand there is an ISO form that you can add on, um, but I think it's going to be one of those a la carte things that you can throw in down the road. And, you know, it's one of those things where the industry is obviously being reactive about it, but I think after all this comes down, being proactive about it and having these real discussions with our clients and saying, listen, yes, this costs 200 bucks a year, but is it worth, whether it's a sublimit, meaning it's only $50,000 of business interruption, whether that's enough or not, that's another conversation. But you know, we, we need as insurance professionals, right? We're advisors. We're not just selling a product. We need to advise our clients, listen, this is a potential exposure. We don't know how long you might be impacted in the future, but now we're being proactive and we're offering it to you, right? So that's kind of what happened with cyber insurance. A lot of people got hit pretty bad with cyber breaches and now they're backpedaling, trying to get 
coverage after they've had a claim. And obviously the premiums are a lot more for those individuals than ones that haven't been impacted, right? So you'll probably see, I think over the next few months, carriers really starting to, I don't want to say offer the coverage, but maybe make it so that it's people are aware of it being available, right? Because right now you and I, before this all went down, weren't even talking about this type of stuff to our clients because it's not something we had the capabilities to offer, nor did we even comprehend um, this ever being an issue, so to speak. So, you know, it, it is. And, you know, there it, it, it's just and it blows my mind, even coming from insurance agents, though, the way that they're looking at this and saying that the insurance companies need to do the right thing and step up and pay these claims. And I really wonder, and if you're a loyal listener and you think this, I apologize, but I have the right to say what I say. I don't know if you're under, if you understand insurance. I don't know if you're understanding, as you said earlier, Justin, about why they put this exclusion in there, right? Because they knew it would be catastrophic. They couldn't measure it. But yet to say that, what does an exclusion have any meaning in a policy? If there's times where they need to pay it. And now I will say that if there's any, we do extraordinary things in, in extraordinary times. I get that. But I don't think people are just a little shout out to John Corsmo over on IAOA. He has a very good um, post that he put out there about questioning why these agent why agents are thinking these claims should be paid when they're specifically excluded and to be honest with you he he does have some support there there's a lot of people that agree with him but i can't believe the amount of people justin that disagree with him yeah like like adamantly disagree with him and it's like folks what what are you, what are you talking about here you, you got to be looking at this okay so i want i don't want to continue down that road i want to talk about something that no one's talking about that is really, really a huge positive of what's going on, right, Justin? We can't, yeah. we don't usually have that much, so let's pull that out of the air and bring that in. And what I say is, is this is the best time to remind ourselves, our employees, and our family, especially our employees and family, that this is the greatest industry God ever created. Absolutely. The thoughts and the problems that the business owners are experiencing today, the restaurants, the bars, the shoe stores, you name it. They are, I told my wife the other day, I said, hon, if we were a shoe, if we owned a shoe store, like we'd be trying to figure out what we're going to do because we're not making any sales, right? We're trying, we're dabbing into, we're dipping into savings. We're telling people, hey, might have to lay you off for people who have car payments and house payments. And these, these business owners are having to make this struggle. I think it's time that in a, in, a, in a great profession like that we have, Justin, and I want to get your thoughts on this, in this great profession that we have where if your kid needs to go to the dent doctor at 930, that's just a known that you're just going to ask off and your, your, your boss or your team leader or your staff is just going to help you make that happen. You need to take off the whole day to go to the field trip. In this industry, if you work in an agency, you just get that. It's just like, hey, field trip. And everybody's like, okay, Susan, or okay, Jim, we got you covered. It's just part of it. You don't get that in other industries. Like if you're a nurse and you work seven to seven, you get at seven and you leave at seven. There's, there's none of that. Or you take a personal day if you need to take a day off or a half 
half a day. We don't have that. And because that's become such the norm in our industry, I think this time, I think right now is the time that we need to have that conversation with our team and say, you're okay. You're safe. You're still going to get paid next week, even if you're working from home. Oh, you have to work from home and you don't have high speed internet out there? That's okay. Do the best that you can and what you can do. And if you can't do anything, you're still going to get paid. I'm still going to get paid as a business owner. My bills are not going to get behind because I'm still going to collect my commission from the, the company. Folks, Justin, we need to have this conversation with our employees now to remind them in these times of dire straits, we are immune to a lot of that. What say you, Justin? Absolutely. Two, two things come to mind. One, I go back. I'm, I'm 34 years old. I graduated from college in 2008, and everybody knows what went on in 2008 with the financial crisis. My major was finance. I literally wanted to sell stocks on Wall Street, and I was at that time. This is right before everything went sideways with the wow. Economy. Yeah, everything went sideways with the economy about you know a month or two after I graduated. But while I was graduating, I was interviewing with some large companies, and I was literally thinking about moving down into the you know New York City and doing things down there. But you know, once everything went sideways, I really had to take a, a strong look in the mirror and say, man is this really the industry that I want to get into? And, you know, obviously this happens once, I would say every 20, 30 years in the stock market, things like this pop up. There's a lot of volatility. Even today, I was just looking at the stock tickers and there's a lot of volatility and there's no guarantees. When I was trying to get that job, the employers literally had me almost signing on the dotted line to sign, you know, become an employee. And they literally called me that day afterwards and said, listen, we we're actually firing people. We're letting people go. And that was a huge, I don't want to say a slap of reality, but I can't think of something better. And at the end of the day, what happened was I had to look and see what type of industries were out there that had stability, job stability, financial stability for myself at the time. Obviously, I was young. I was single. I wasn't married, didn't have kids, but I knew that was something I wanted to do with my life. I really started looking around and insurance kept popping up every single time. I kept coming back to insurance. And at that time in college, I did take one insurance course and it was boring. It was dry. It was not something that I found interesting. But as I started to talk to people in the space, I realized there was a lot of options for me. And a lot of people don't understand that insurance is not just trying to sell a product, right? There's social media marketing, there's accounting and billing and bookkeeping and management. And, and, you know, you can be a insurance marketing rep and travel and golf and do all these fun things. There's a lot of things in our industry. And that kind of brings me to my second point is right now, we spend a lot of time. I'm on the board for a local college here called Goodwin. Goodwin is known here in Connecticut to basically be a stepping stone for any any age individual that maybe wants to specialize in a certain field. For example, they have a great nursing program, right? You can go in there for, I think, two years. I don't know the exacts on this, maybe two years and leave being like a, you know, a certified nursing assistant or whatever the designation is. But they recently launched about 18 months ago an insurance program. And this is one of the first in the state of Connecticut that we've seen. Um, and it was successful. And, and how the how the course went was basically, I think it was like a two-year course. 
the first six months, you're kind of deep diving into like insurance 101. And then the second half of the course, you actually had to work at either an insurance agency or an insurance company for, I think it's a minimum of like 150 to 200 hours, something like that. So we did bring on a young lady, her name's Abby, and she's actually graduating. Part of the course is you have to get your insurance license. So she's already licensed. Okay. And she'll be graduating, I believe this May. She's already working for us full time and she's a rock star in our agency. So the reason why I'm saying all this is we as agency owners need to realize we are lucky. Even the, our employees, our team, everybody were very, very lucky because leading up until Goodwin College, there was never really here in Connecticut. And I know there are some, you know, you can go to college and stuff for insurance. But the point is, is kind of coming full circle is I think we need to spend more time. I don't want to say the words recruiting, but just educating the younger generation and say, listen, insurance is not only a viable industry, it's lucrative. There's a lot of options for growth and there's a lot of mobility, meaning being able to work from home in times when everybody else is maybe, I don't want to say the words unemployed, but that's literally what's going on right now. People are getting laid off. Businesses are closing their doors, maybe opening one day. We don't know, right? And nobody's hiring right now. I mean, we we're actively interviewing a gentleman tomorrow as an insurance producer. We're probably one of the few industries um, that are actively trying to hire people right now. You're exactly right. I mean, we are too. That's exactly what. Yeah, because that, that's what brought up this conversation yesterday with Travis and I, my business partner. Is I was like, dude. Do you realize we're thinking about this and everybody else is thinking completely opposite? I mean, how great is is this industry for so many different ways? The five truths of leadership. My loyal listeners are like, oh, here he goes again. I keep hitting it because in so many things, it is true. Financial freedom, flexible schedule, community contributor, empire builder, and mentor. All this industry allows you to be all that. And in times of dire straits like we're in right now, it allows those to really stick out in who you are, being that community contributor because it's not affecting you like it's somebody else. Having that financial freedom because knowing that your bills are going to be paid. So many people aren't thinking that. Having that flexible schedule to be able to say, hey, we're going to shut down the office for a week. Or, hey, we're going to go on skeleton crew. Some are going to be working here. Some are going to be working there. Or, hey, let's just turn it over and we'll turn it over to the 24-hour services of our insurance companies. The options we have. The options we have. To be able to be that empire to empire builder, some of the greatest empires are built in the time of transition, in the time of revolution, in the time of need, in the time of scare, when in, in pl- times like right now. And I think that, as you just said, Justin, there is a way and there is a story that needs to be told right now to explain to the younger generation that insurance is not a bad thing. I will tell you this. I think insurance agents used to take a lot more criticism than they do now, in my opinion. I start to think that, that I'm starting to realize that, that insurance agents are seeing, being seen more as professionals. I know that sounds crazy. The more agent, the more the consumer tries to look for price and likes Geico, the opposite effect happens. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So that you also have the other part of the other side where more people are starting to look for that advice. More people are able to educate themselves online. And that then they're calling Justin to say, Justin, I've read this, I've read this. You know me. Can you help me sort this out? Right? That's what we're there for. That's that educational advisor part. So I think that there's a lot of good to this. And you said it right. There's an education, a re-education that just needs to know because, Justin, I think if the average 
18 to 26-year-old knew what you and I do on a daily basis, how we got there, the team that we're oriented with, the give back that we are in the community, the life that we give our family. I don't, I don't know how you could walk away and say that there's anything better unless you have like a deep passion, right? To be an architect, you know, I could see yeah. that. But in, in this just realm, man, it's, it's sweet, dude. It's an awesome yeah, opportunity. It's kind of two things I picked up from your thing there was number one, I would say about 12 months ago or so, about a year ago, I went to hear our good friends, Matt and Zach from GNN Insurance do a talk about yeah, absolutely best practices and scaling the agency. But in the beginning of that meeting was, I believe it was sponsored by Travelers Insurance and a woman, she wasn't a Travelers employee. She was more of one of those consultants that did like data research and things like that. But you were talking about how consumers find us and kind of how people dig online first and end up with us. It was pretty interesting because Safeco, just put out something the other day where it was polar opposite, but I'll talk about the travelers thing first. She said the purchasing process for any individual, regardless of age, about eight, it's over 80 something percent starts online by themselves, whether they do have an independent agent or they're going direct already, or maybe they just don't have insurance. They're starting online. Just like you and I were to buy a pair of sneakers. Maybe we knew we wanted, you know, the new Adidas or whatever, but we probably went online, looked at it and found the color we liked. And then maybe we ended up purchasing it direct from a store. Maybe we ended up buying it through Amazon. It doesn't matter. So the insurance piece. So what's interesting of that study was, Yes, a high percentage, about 80-something percent started online going it alone. But after, I think it was a 35-day purchasing period, meaning it took over a month of them mm-hmm. messing around online, getting quotes maybe with some of the direct writers and talking to their friends. But they all end up, for some reason, it's, it's over, I think I want to say, I, I'm going to mess up these numbers, but hopefully I'll, I'll figure it out. I think it was in the high 70 percentage ended up calling some sort of local independent insurance agency and or went to their website, filled out a form and things like that. So even though the individual started online on their own, they still wanted the blessing, aka of an insurance professional, meaning us, right? So it's pretty interesting with the amount of technology and the resources and everything that's going on with insure tech right now, that people are still ending up looking for a local trusted advisor. And one of the biggest things with that is making sure we all have great, you know, reviews online, Google reviews, uh, because people treat Google reviews as if you're asking your mother, you know, where I should buy my next pair of, you know, jeans or so, you know what I'm saying? They want that reassurance. So kind of to your point, all I was trying to say there was the path is online first, but it does end up with the um, insurance professional, right? At the end. So Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand 
And like a good, solid Cuban-American, he said, Jason, I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation, and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at Virtual Intel, that's with two L's, that's Virtual, I-N-T-E-L-L.com. Go check us out, see what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology, delivered right into your agency, and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just, there's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right, Virtual Intel, cast certified. Absolutely. You know, and Maroon 5 said it best. No need to cry about it. I can't live without it every time I wind up back at your door. That's like the consumer, right? The consumer, they wrote that song. I've seen that statistic for a while. 75% of them shop online, uh, but less than 25% of them buy. And that's right. Most of them come back to buy from that local independent insurance agent. And I think that's something that's lost. Yeah. Um, I've been talking about this a lot lately because it's something that when she said it, it really got me going with um, with Kelly Donahue Pirro. She said to on the thing, she said, Jason, they were blown away during their their secret shopping calls, <laughs> the secret calls they were doing. Yeah. And it was great. All that stuff. I've received so much feedback about that podcast. It's been crazy. But the thing that got me that maybe a lot of people didn't take away was how little we explained who we are. Right. How little we explained who we are to our customers and and why it's important that they chose the insurance alliance and what value we believe that we can bring. I believe it's important not me the way that I see that is I don't see that as a branding so much as independent and we have multiple companies to help shop. I think that's it. But I think it kind of lays out there who we are. And let's them try to feel out if we're going to be a good fit, right? Absolutely. We, 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 we provide you a way to call in and do service as it's always been done, but we also provide a way for you to do it on your own. And I will tell you, as we grow as an agency, we're looking for more people that are willing to do it on their own, but we'll always be here to help when that doesn't work. We're setting that in their stage. Now, some people may not like that. Some people don't. We do. We like that because we're setting that inside of their head from the get-go of what type of agency we are and where we're going. And if somebody says, well, I, that's not what I like. I like to at least talk to my agent once a week. <laughs> well, <laughs> many reasons why we're going to ask you to go somewhere else. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is, is that you start to set that. And so I'm trying to immediately when I get on the phone, I teach the, the, the people in our agency, we're immediately trying to figure out if we're going to be a fit because there's so many different types of consumers and so many different types of agencies. It's OK. The scarcity model is not in effect here. There's enough insurance for everybody. Um, and I believe that the guy down the road that we have a relationship with, he loves SR22. He loves these guys that have DUIs. And so we sent them to him. And just the other day, he sent us a $32,000, $33,000 account that we quoted on. We, we didn't actually get that for many, many reasons. But the point is, is he didn't want to write it because it was out of his realm. I've said this before, Justin, and I'm gonna, I want to get your thoughts on this. I believe that independent insurance agents don't get treated like professionals because we don't act like professionals. What do I mean by that? 
not as we walk around with chew in our mouth, cutting, cussing, and spitting. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about acting like a professional. I'm talking about if you go to a doctor, the doctor, the generalist will send you to his preferred doctor, right? Because they understand that they specialize and they're good in something. I see so many advertisements of agents who are really doing a good job with their video online. And, but you'll hear them say, you know, to the, to, to the fact of, you know, um, we can do, and they'll name it off autos, homes, life insurance, investments, annuities, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I think they feel like this empowerment that they can help you with all these products. But when I hear that, I kind of hear like, oh, you're kind of like a jack of all trades, but probably a master of none. What do you think about that, Justin, and how we portray ourselves as an all to everybody, but yet we demand to be seen as a professional for an individual type of, of, of client or service? What do you think? I'll uh, use a little analogy here. My wife is an APRN. Basically, she can write prescriptions. She's kind of like a doctor, but not having to do a lot of the responsibilities, you know, operations, Mm -hmm. things like that. But uh, we were looking because she worked for a state hospital before and all of the salaries were posted online. You can literally look up what the highest paying doctor is at that hospital. And what was interesting was the deviation between the general practitioner doctors and the specialists. The specialists on average were making about anywhere from eight to 12 times more income per year than the generalists. And I kind of correlate that to insurance because about, I want to say January 1st of 2019, right around there, um, my agency started to niche out. Yes, we were a generalist before. We still somewhat are to this day. However, I personally niched out in real estate investment insurance on a national level. We are licensed in 42 states at the moment. Um, so it's not fully national yet, but it's there. But ever since we niched out, my personal production inside my agency has tripled. And they're not big accounts. They're, they're small accounts. They're, the average premium is $1,017 down to the penny. It's flip properties, people buying properties, selling them, renovating them for a profit. But what's happening is it's snowballing. I'm writing that little $1,017 policy, and then I'm asking, what else do you have? And people don't just flip properties. They usually have a buy and hold portfolio. They obviously have a home. They have nice cars. They usually have a secondary home, maybe a boat or a motorcycle or something like that. My clients averaging between five to seven policies um, per individual where the industry is right around, I believe, in the mid twos right now. So I'm three times higher on a per client policy count than the industry, right? So the, the niche the niche that we're in, what I'm trying to do, and there's a gentleman out of, uh, I believe he's, he's out of California, Jerry, I'll think of his name momentarily, but he every time he hires a new producer, he says, listen, you have to pick three niches, three verticals that you want to go into, and that's all you can do. I'm not going to pay you commission <clears throat> on anything else you bring into the agency. So it kind of forces their hand, but what that agency is doing is they're probably one of the most successful ones in California for that matter, just because of that. Because when you when you have a, a product, which is say hypothetically a, a bounce house, right? You got an indoor bounce park for kids. There's only like four players. And I met one of them at the IOA conference out in San Diego in January. There's only like four players in the space. When I was a wholesaler writing hard to place insurance, I would see apps come across my desk for the same account from various agents all over the country. And the ones that always caught my attention were the ones that were in the niche because they wrote a nice, I don't want to say a thesis statement, but they wrote a nice introductory cover letter introducing who yep. the owner was, talking about their loss safety and, and, and you know loss prevention practices and all this stuff. 
The Accord apps were completely done. The supplemental applications were completely done. Loss runs with full narratives, full narratives on every single claim. What happened, why it happened, how it happened, and what's been done to prevent future losses. All the other apps were like, Accord 125, half blank, you know? And it's like, come on, guys. Like, if I was a consumer, if I was a bounce house, who would I want servicing my account? Who would I want behind me when I have a claim hand in hand helping me through that process? I want the professional. I want the one who's got it as a niche. And what happened when I left San Diego after IOA, one of the things I do, it's I've done it now for three years in a row, is I pull out my old pen and pad and I start writing down all my ideas because I'm sure as you experience when you leave there, you got all these ideas in your head. So I just start writing everything down. And one of my ideas was to create an online platform where insurance agents from all over the country can submit risks, no charge, no one's getting commission, just sharing risks all over the country. We do it right now on various Facebook groups. We all see it. Hey, my cousin Vinny's moving to Georgia and doing this and that. Who's in Georgia? And we're all like, hey, and there's like five comments with agents. But I don't like that there's five comments with agents. I would want to see the five comments all be the same agent's name, right? I want to see who's the go-to guy who does this, right? So I'm actively building out a web platform. I was going to do it as a Google Sheet, but it was a little clunky where basically it's it's a right now I have about 98 almost 100 agents that provided me their contact information and approved me to do this where it's going to be a website where you can trade. I don't want to say trade, but you can transfer leads that maybe aren't a good fit for your agency. We do this all the time, like you just said, with people that maybe have you know a, a poor driving record. We're not an agency that really has the markets for the for those types of drivers. So we usually send them to our local guy down the street, and he's not even an independent. You know, he's a, a captive carrier. But the point is, is you know, ever since I niched out, I realized what the heck am I doing being a generalist as well? I, it's tough to fire clients. I don't like to do that. I love all of my clients, but at the end of the Hard day- Hard as can be. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you know, at the end of the day, what I'm realizing is the inefficiency of being a generalist is so drastic that it's basically crippling me when I have to work on some other piece of business. So I actually, I, I'm a producer in my agency. Um, you know, I work in the weeds as well as many uh, agency owners do, but I also work on my business. And when I work on my business, it's a high level stuff. I, I do a lot of video proposals. So I'm actually automating um, every time I send out a new quote for a vacant building undergoing renovations, instead of sending a custom video Every single time for that individual, I'm sending a blanket video that talks about who we are, what we do, why we're different, how to purchase this policy, and and things of that nature. So it's just educating the client. Kind of what you were saying earlier was when someone calls in, we want to make sure we have a automated, I don't want to say an automated process, but a, a streamlined process where we can quote bind issue a vacant building undergoing renovations in literally five minutes or less. Five minutes. Wow. Quote bind issue. That's good. I'm not saying get a quote. I'm saying issue a policy, go to your closing with your paid in full receipt and your evidence of insurance and your policies automatically generated as well. So getting that down to a science has helped streamline that policy that's $1,017 where people are running away from flip properties. And you got a lot mm-hmm. of agents. I compete with a lot of agents nationally now because I'm writing stuff, Cali and Arizona and all over the place. And I'm competing with agents that maybe if 
you know, you have a home and auto with Jane Doe and Jane Doe says, oh, I see you're buying an investment property. Well, I don't really know what I'm doing, so I'm going to hand it over to the commercial team. Well, the commercial team doesn't want it because it's a $1,017 policy and they don't think they're going to get True, bro. out of it. So yes. I come in, I crank that out in five minutes and then I'm BORing the other lines of business, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's well, why I'm saying all this is if anybody wants to take anything from this podcast is find something you're passionate about or find something you're good at or something that maybe other agents are afraid of and you're okay with and go after that and create a niche around that. Maybe not so much a niche, but just start diving into it head first. So, so Justin, yeah, I can tell how excited you are about this. And it's great because you're excited about it because you've experienced and it's real to you, right? Um, the question is, in the, and I get out of this, is why? They've been told that we've all been told the industry has been told for the last 10, 15, 20 years. I just went to dynamics of sales. I've been to that thing three times. That course was invented in 1978, became full fledged with the National Alliance in 1984. They've been teaching niches since 1984 on a national level. It's been in every magazine that we get, every association trade magazine. It pops up in blogs. We're being told by our agents, we're being told by our carriers you have to niche, you have to niche, you have to niche. It's overload. Why are we still not niching? I will agree that there's always needs to be generalists, right? Just like there's generalist doctors, right? There's generalist lawyers. But I'm one of those guys that sometimes gets people to challenge the norm, Justin, and I'll say it where others won't. I think agents are lazy and it shows that they don't prospect. They don't know how to prospect or they don't want to prospect. It goes back to the little lies that we tell ourselves that I wrote an article for last summer. And it goes back to, I need a lot of companies because then I can help a lot of people. No, you want to help a lot of people because you don't want to have to get off your butt and actually put together a marketing plan to find a person or create a niche and put that all together to make that happen. Because they all know, Justin, they all truly know. Here's the way my easy brain, my my brain, I'm not very smart. Billy Williams says it all the time and I, I agree with it. Like, just make things simple. I look at it as, as, a, as a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, a guy has 20 clients that he makes 100000 in revenue off of. Okay, The other end, $2 million. On the other end of the spectrum, I have a guy who makes $1,000 a client or $500 in revenue a client, but has... Oh my gosh, whatever the number is, 200,000 or 2,000 of them or 20,000 of them, whatever that is, to make up that 2 million in revenue. Now, pending automation, and like you said, Jason, hey, I'm a high volume guy, not making a lot of revenue per employee or agency, but I have a system. So I get that. That's a very unique situation. But my problem is, is that today in today's world, where we have the 20 clients that are getting us 100,000 or the 2,000 clients that are getting us 1,000, they don't have that automated. And when I look at that spectrum, I look and say, okay, one way is a lot less service work. And one way is going to be a lot less expenses because of the type of business that I'm going after. 
I look over at the other way and I just see us just doing quotes after quotes and bragging that we have 2000 clients and we're trying to get to 3000, but yet we're all losing our mind and we don't have systems. And, and the way that it is, you can't really truly make a profit on something. According to my, my friend, Chris Paradiso, who you know quite well, told me a long time ago, he said, Jason, on an average personal lines policy, agency's not making anything off it, at least to a year and nine months into it. Now, that may have changed a little bit, but that's what he told me about five or six years ago, and he showed me some proof to back it up, and, and I believe Chris when he tells me that. So when I look at this spectrum, it lets me believe that this way over here, and David Carruthers does know a gentleman. I haven't personally met him, but I know of him. He is in Florida, and he has 20 clients. He really does, Justin, and each one of them pays him 100000 in revenue. He has finds another client that he could possibly write, and it's one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty thousand in revenue. He'll call. He'll put in a personal phone call to the guy on the that just fell into twenty first, and say, "Hey, I only have twenty clients. That's the way my agency's set up. I've got another brokerage over here that can help you." And he keeps those twenty clients, and he slowly just keeps raising it. He has three account managers, three account managers, and it's him and another producer that kind of helps him on the side. He goes and sees each one of those customers three times a, a year. So do the math. That's, what is that, Eight sixty. So he's got 60 appointments over the course of a year and 20 clients. That's it. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty good to me. And then I go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and I do the same thing again, and I say, wow, that sounds like a nightmare unless you can highly automate it and, and come up with some pretty sophisticated systems, definitely can be done. Justin, you're doing it and, and thousands of others are doing it. I'm not saying that it can't be done. I just think it comes back to when I'm going after that business that is low revenue, I can find that stuff easily online through lead gen. I don't have to pick up the phone. I don't have to do as Ryan Hanley says, put my rubber sole shoes on the concrete. And I think that that's sometimes, what is your reasoning? What do you, why do you think that agents ignore this call for them to niche? What is their reasoning? I mean, I know everybody can't, but there's a lot that are not. What say you, Justin? Sure. I think complacency comes to mind. People, I don't want to say people that were, I don't want to say the words handed an agency. That's not what I'm going down that path. But people that maybe worked for a family that had an existing agency back in the day, point. there was a lot of generalists. So it's hard to steer True. That, steer that ship around. I, I, I speak very highly of certain individuals that you know just as much as I do mm -hmm. in the industry that uh, struggle with this every day where they want to change the best practices inside the agency, do some more automation technology, do video, things like that. And you still have, whether it's their parents or grandparents or aunts and our uncles or whatever, saying, no, this is the way it's always been done. We're successful. But what I see in the industry is usually generalists hit kind of like a glass ceiling from a profitability standpoint and also a premium standpoint where I don't want to mm -hmm. use a number, but if I were to pick one, it's probably around five to seven million in written premium is what I'm seeing for agencies that are generalists and nothing above Great. that. The agencies that are generalists that are larger than that usually have niches inside the agency. Once you start peeling back that onion, you see that, oh, wow, there's a guy over here that specializes in the healthcare industry. And that portion of his book is substantial. Chris Paradiso was a generalist when he started up. And then, you know, he now has a FedEx Amazon program. That is a huge chunk of his book of business. And he's actively building out more niches. He just brought on a gentleman, Ross. Ross is uh, basically a farm and ranch guy. And we send him 
we send Ross all of our farm and ranch leads and he's BORing and writing all these policies. And, you know, when you're in the niche, you become almost like kind of like Chris self-proclaimed, you know, the flood guru. You become kind of a guru in that space. People here in Connecticut, if you go on Facebook with these local real estate investor groups and they say, hey, where should I insure my three family? It's not they're not putting an insurance company's name up. They're writing Justin Sloan. Here's his contact info. And it's not one or two people. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm just telling people right. they understand how important it is to have a niche. It's okay to be a generalist. Don't get me wrong. My agents can be a generalist. We have th- over yeah. three million or close to three million written premium. That is just what I call generalist insurance premium, right? So mm-hmm. you know, that book's still relatively profitable. It's got good retention, and you know we're servicing it. And everything's great. But I'm personally not actively growing it. I'm not actively throwing things on Facebook. Hey, let me quote your home auto. Let me quote Tom, Dick, and Harry. It doesn't that's not what I'm doing? If you if you look. Lately, especially on our business page, I'm starting to put up stuff that are tailored to real estate investors and on a national level and teaching people how to do that process. So uh, kind of going back to your question, why aren't agents doing this? I think they're complacent. Even if they're starting a new agency from scratch, a lot of scratch agencies, I was one, I've done it twice now. You need to pay the bills. You need to feed your family. You need to do Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So you can't, it's very tough to start out in a niche from scratch. So that's why you don't see it. So what happens is, over the course of two, three years into a scratch agency, there might be at one, two, three million written premium, which is great, but it's every single person with a pulse inside that agency. And it's not a profitable book. And that's why Chris is saying those statistics and why mm-hmm. it's so expensive for an agency to just start writing from day one, anybody that comes to you. If I could have started all over again, yes, I would have niched out, but I would have also focused. I would have said no a lot more. That's something we do a lot here now. And my team knows to come to me. Hey, Justin, we just got this lead. I don't feel right about it. And here's why. What do you think? I say, listen, if you don't feel right about it. I surely don't. Let's let's advise them another local agent that might gladly take that account. And kind of going back to that point of passing off that lead to somebody that's better suited to facilitate that person. Because you're only doing that client or potential client disservice yes. by taking them on and saying, yeah, I can do it. So what? Just because a heart doctor knows how to like clean someone's teeth doesn't mean they should be a dentist, right? Like absolutely do what you do, do it well. Be the professional, be that niche and, and stay in your lane and everybody will end up uh, benefiting from it. So, And it's and, you know, it's also just about challenging those norms. When I go back to I mean, think about if there's eight agents that all sit down at the table and, and they all sit at one of those round tables and everybody says, OK, we're going to determine how big your size is by how many clients you have. And everybody goes around and one person says 500 and the other says 3000 and the other one says 4,500 and the other one over here says 800. And then this one person says 20, right? Mm -hmm. How weird does that sound? That's like against what we've been told. Like if the size of how many clients you have is, is, is what's important. And I think at one point it did because the revenues were so high over so many lines of business we're talking 60s, 70s, and 80s here, that it was profitable to do that. Today, it's not. And just like everything, everything reverses after a while. The profitability is in the revenue per client and the less amount of clients. Once you start going to the more of the other side of the spectrum, loyal listeners, you better be like Justin. You better be like Justin and the many that we've brought on here. 
when you decide, hey, revenue per client, I'm going to go after that smaller, then you better have a really good system and way of doing that. I've said it before, um, Justin, with my loyal listeners about non-standard agencies. I'm not a non-standard agent. I want to be a non-standard agency, but I know a ton of non-standard agents out there and they kill it. Right. But I also know a bunch of aid and non-standard agents out there who are stressed out because they're not making it. The difference is one of them has taken your path, Justin, and created a system that's rock solid and can be done in really high efficiency. And the others have it. And it's it's night and day between what they are. So it's not just how many clients you have, but it's the systems you have. But also, how many clients do you determine to be successful? Michael Silas, that I did a podcast for, who's out of Austin, Texas, he has 36 clients. His book of business is almost a million dollars in revenue, just his book by himself. I mean, as an agent, I would take a million in revenue and have 35, 36 clients. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Justin, wrapping this up, buddy, we've talked about a lot of stuff. I just looked down. I can't even believe we've been talking 54 minutes. This has been an interesting conversation. We've went all over the place. Um, kind of wrapping it up as to what you see going on in the world, the industry, to agents out there. If you could talk to them one-on-one, this is your chance. Thousands of people are listening right now. What is something that you could say? What's your hope? What's your mission? What's your dream? What and Just come from any direction to let the loyal listeners as we wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Jason. But one of the things I think, and I just recently wrote about this in a blog post on someone's page, but finding out your why. I've recently heard a podcast about your why, Jason, and that's a very interesting thing that you got going on there. And I think everybody needs to figure out their why. Why are they waking up every morning and putting their pants on and going to work? Whether you're in insurance or not, it doesn't really matter. Finding out your why will greatly help you in the long run because then you'll have something to be passionate about, number one, and something to strive for. Because if you're just going in, like you said, being a generalist and pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, and you don't have a why, you're going to get burnt out. And finding out your why really helped me Um, a long time ago when I was in my bad car accident. I had uh, about 10 surgeries over 18 months on my right leg. And I was working for an agent or I was working for a wholesaler making really good money, good benefits. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to own my own business. And I see there's an industry out there of retail agents that are okay. They're doing okay. And I felt like I could have done a little bit better in in a certain capacity. So my why every day I wake up and it's something I strive and passionate about. And I'm not going to talk about my why here because that's probably a whole nother podcast. But uh, at the end of the day, find out your why. And if it takes you uh, a year or two to figure that out, that's fine. But I think your job and everything that everybody does out there is going to be exponentially easier once you figure that out. It is, man. You're right about that. That why uh, gets played out a lot, but it's so vital to what you're doing. It's not the what, it's not the how, it's the why. Hey, I greatly appreciate your time, Justin. Um, This was uh, Loyal Listeners. As a lot of my podcast guests, I had never met Justin, never talked with him before. I think we had a very, very engaging conversation. Uh, Tell your business partner, Chris Paradiso, that I greatly appreciate him and everything that he uh, stands for in this industry. Thank you for you. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, they can find you on LinkedIn. Is that the place? Yeah, LinkedIn, bspinsurance.com. Hit me up. A lot of people hit me up on Instagram and stuff too. So wherever you can find me. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, podcast. I think we talked about a lot of different things. Um, when I when I'm here, I try to challenge, get you to challenge the norms. I want you to think. Um, I want to put things in your head that you disagree with me on. 
I love it when you disagree with me. So let me know your thoughts at Jason at agency-intelligence.com, agency-intelligence.com. Please, please let me know because uh, today I gave you a real agent. Justin, inside a real agency, giving you the real agency intelligence and not the artificial that the industry tries to make you believe. This has been Cass. That's Sloan. We're out.